Hey everyone, welcome to Bridge Stories. This is our new podcast giving people space and time to tell their stories of encountering God and being changed by Him. We hope you're encouraged by these stories and also that you leave excited that you know a lot of really awesome people a little bit better. So sit back and enjoy. All right, well I'm here with uh, Joel. Right before we started, Joel, you were telling me you're uh, you're a licensed drone pilot. So why don't you just kick us off? How, how do you become a licensed drone pilot? Uh, so you go online, you pay five dollars, and that's all it is. It comes with like when you buy the drone, there's like a little packet that comes in it, and it says like, oh, you need to get licensed or you get ticketed or something, and then you got to print it out and you got to keep it with you. Awesome. Some people like can put like a sticker onto their own drone, but yeah, I just paid five bucks online, and I was like, "Oh, that was easy." Does your picture come on it? No, it doesn't. It's literally just your name, and then your drone actually comes with like a code or something, and you write it on there. Awesome. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know anything about drones, um, but I, I'm realizing now that as we're chatting about drones, we should probably introduce ourselves. Seems how this is season one, episode one. Oh, true. So, who who are you, Joel? I am Joel Kurame. And what do, you, what do you do here at Bridge Community Church? I co-direct the youth ministries with my wife, Abigail Kurame. Very cool. And uh, what else is going on for you these days? Nothing much besides planning for all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, we just moved into our new place, so we're still getting settled in. We don't have a car, but we probably would start looking soon. Also, this is like a, a podcast that'll be distributed. So maybe, maybe if you're you're listening out there, Joel could use a car. Oh, oh snap! That's true. That's true. Yeah, maybe that will happen. Definitely need to save up first. Well, as, as we were chatting about, I, I, the point of this podcast is just to hear people's stories about who God is to you and, and what God has done in your life. So I, I'm just curious. Uh, tell me a little bit about like where you grew up, what, what you can remember about your childhood, the good, the bad, the ugly. Just lay it out there for us. Cool, cool, cool. So I was actually um, born in Corona, but I didn't move back into like middle school, starting like go, going into high school. But most of, like, where I grew up was actually in San Bernardino. And, like, we would move around a lot. We didn't really have, like, a home, per se. But, yeah, I grew up in, like, um, they call it the ghetto, basically. It was just, like, really bad, really bad, really bad. I didn't grow up Christian, so I wasn't familiar with any of this. And we grew up really, really poor my family, and in, like, a really bad and abusive home with my father, my mother, my older sister, then later came my little brother. Okay. Wow, that's, that's, it's, it's crazy to hear that kind of story because that's really not that far from where we're sitting right now, but it might as well just be a, a different world. Yeah, seriously. I, I have, like, five friends that I can name that were, like, shot and cousins that were shot. I can take you to the places where they were shot and... All that stuff. Wow. I, I think, you know, I, I think people have diverse experiences that, you know, will flesh out over time on this podcast. But I, I paint a picture for us. Just tell me, like, uh, some stories you remember, maybe something vivid of your childhood that might give us some insight into what this place was like. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, I do remember, it's, like, so small, but I do remember one time I had gotten out of, like, school, and I had my... um 
Capri Sun. And I don't know why, but it like stuck to me that's so bad. And I was like walking down away from school and some like older kid runs by and tries to grab it, snatch my Capri Sun on my hand. So I yank it back and he just walks up to me and just punches me straight in the chest. And I was just like, oh, like for my Capri Sun. And I was just like one instant. But yeah, growing up also over there, it was like um, I was like really, really bullied because I had a weird shaped head and I still do, but I've grown into it big time. But <laughs> it was so weird. I remember another time I was riding bikes with my sister and some dudes started to like jump me for my bike. So they like grabbed me, they threw me off my bike and I was How old were you? It was probably like ten, maybe eleven, or a little bit younger than that actually. And they were around my sister's age, who she's like one or two years older than me. And so that I'm just like, you know, take it, take it. I don't want it. I don't like it's not worth it. And so then my sister hops off her bike and she starts fighting them. And then she's like, help me. And there's two of them. She's like, help me, help me. And I was like, no, just run. And so I love my sister. I ran away and I left her fighting two guys. <laughs> yeah. Not, killed it. not good form, bro. That's no. not good brotherly love right there. Not at all. Not at all. So I, I know a little bit about your background, but something I think might resonate with people is you didn't speak English in your home. No. Uh-uh. No. Spanish was my first language. And so my mom and my dad were f- fresh from Mexico. They actually crossed the border illegally. And then so we were born. My sister started speaking um English and that's like basically what helped me speak English better was her and then but both of us were in like English learners classes for like up until the third grade okay so your first real exposure to like full-blown English was just public school yeah public school and and the school you were in was that like kind of par for the course that was normal or uh yeah yeah I mean it was mostly African-American but then um right below it was Hispanic okay so it's pretty pretty common. There was a lot large contingent of yeah. kids that were just learning English for the first time. Yes, you know I was just chatting with a, a friend about that's that's a lot of people's story here in Southern California, uh, and I I think we lose sight of how incredibly intelligent people have to be to know Spanish and English. You know, so often we don't even doesn't even cross my mind that mm-hmm. if you wanted to, you could just turn this interview into to Spanish like mm-hmm. on a on a dime, which is incredible. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious, you've, you're kind of like telling us about your childhood, um, and you said you didn't grow up as a Christian, so w- what's kind of your earliest memory? Where did you feel like maybe Jesus intersected your path for the very first time? Mm. So definitely Jesus met me where I was at. So um, it's like completely different, but we didn't really practice Christianity at all. My mom would say she was Catholic, but Catholic. It wasn't. It was just like, oh, I am, but this. And there was no following anything. There was no scripture reading. We didn't even go to church at all. And my dad practiced Santeria, which is like an African religion. And it was like weird. We would like worship this weird God and do sacrifices and stuff like Like, monthly. Like in your home. Yeah, like in our home. And we would do like rituals and stuff like that. And we'd have like clay. um, They're like sand statues sort of with like shells in them and stuff like that okay so it was yeah it was completely opposite of like christian world but my aunt was christian my dad's aunt i should say 
she was Christian and she would ask if we wanted to go to church with her and stuff like that. And we never would, but I would always want to go hang out with my cousins. So I would go to church with my cousins and this was around like sixth grade, but I'd only go to hang out with my friends. I never, or my cousins, I never went to listen and I never listened. I really don't remember any lessons or anything. (laughs) When, when we first, when I first encountered God, it was like, I, I had no idea of anything or like Jesus or anything. So it wasn't until the, my grandmother um, was passing away. And that's when it was like, when I witnessed a miracle and he, yeah, he met me where I was at because she had been an alcoholic her whole life. She started drinking when she was like seven and I got, uh, she was, I really love her. Like I, we got so close with her, but um, basically all her organs started failing and it was just, it was just bad. But, I remember seeing her for the last time, or second to last time, and she was like just inflated, and her feet were so inflated, and they looked like elephant feet, and her eyes were yellow, and she had all these bruises on her body, and it just looked so sad because she had like all these tubes connected. I was just like, this is this is like I really this is in like a hospital or yeah, in a okay. hospital, and this is like it just hit me so hard, and I it would it just really sucked to see her like that. So that was the first time I ever prayed. And I was just like, God, if you are real, like, I want to make a deal with you. Because I didn't know how it worked. So I was like, it, you you give and you get, you know. Yeah. I was like, I want to make a deal with you. Um, if you let my grandmother die in peace, like, I promise that I will not cry and I won't mourn for her death. And so the, um, we ended up going home. My mom no, called Wait, my I'm phone. sorry. How, how old are you? I was in like freshman year of high school or ending. Um, yeah, yeah. That's some pretty big conceptual ideas of going on there for uh, what? What would that be? Fourteen, fifteen yeah, years old. Yeah. So you're bargaining with God if if He just allows her to die in peace. You won't. What do you say? You won't cry and won't you won't mourn, mourn for her. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. Keep going. And it was, yeah. So um, my mom had called my father. They were separated at the time, and or they're still separated, but. And he was like, she would, She said, can you take the kids? I don't want them to see when she passes. And my sister had this huge freak out and was like, no, no, we have to be there. So we ended up going back. And this was after me praying. And the last time I saw my grandmother, it was like all the bruises were gone. And it had been like an hour or two. And we just left and came back. And her, she looked like she was asleep. I didn't see a single bruise in her body. Her feet weren't inflated anymore. And... I was like, I, is anyone else seeing this? Like, I, or I'm not sure if it was just me, if I was imagining it, but I felt like, like that was God answering a prayer. And so I was like, he's real, like he's real. And first thing I was like, oh my God, I'm terrified. Right? <laughs> so then I, I was like, well, I got to and hold up my end of the bargain. I got to commit to my deal. Like I said that I was, I wasn't going to mourn or wasn't going to cry. So I did. And I just, I like didn't, I bottled up my emotions and did not cry and was just, which is really unhealthy. It was really bad, but I didn't. Somewhere in your 14 year old mind that made sense. Yeah. It was, I made a deal with God is in my head. That was all I thought about, you know? And I was like, you can't break a deal with God because you know, he'll punish, he'll punish you. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of gets us to like the beginning of, of high school, and I'm sure there's some connections. Seems like you, you work a great deal now with high school and, and junior hires, but I'm, I'm just curious. So you have your first, what you would call, experience that God showed up, God did something. You're 14, 15 years old. Like, 
What does a 15-year-old with no kind of support system, no, no parent, no sibling that's, you know, helping you go to church, where do you, where do you go from there? Um, I should have gone to the Bible. I know that, but I didn't. I just stayed with this misconstrued, like, ideal of it, and it was really bad because, um, yeah, I, I feared the Lord more than anything. Like, I was just scared, and I felt like I had done so much wrongs that I couldn't be forgiven. So I was legit living my life like I'm already going to hell. Like there was no redeeming all the things that I've been through and all the things that I've done. And it was just like that. And so I started going to church with my cousins again. And this time I started like paying attention, but it still didn't click. Like it was just, it was just bad and set in my mind. And it was like no controlling it. And I would never pray out loud because I felt like I wasn't worthy enough to speak to God. So I'd always like pray in my mind and be like, Lord, I already know that I'm going to hell, but you know, can you help me out in this test or can you help me out today? And it was always like, I already know I'm going to hell. I already know I'm going to fail. And that was always my prayer because I I had no idea. Hmm. I was definitely, I just set like a bad principle and stuck with it. Sorry, I keep hitting that. No, you're good. I, I, I feel like some of your students are probably going to listen to this. Uh, I, I'm just curious, like, wh- what kind of stuff are you getting involved with at 14, 15 years old that you already have determined that you're going to hell? Um, so because of everything, my dad was really abusive to the whole family and stuff like that. And the separation of my parents, I caught my father cheating on my mom. And I just had a little teenage angst, but I ended up getting anger issues. And so I ended up hitting my mother at one point and running away from home. And I would hit my sister to the point where she'd be bruises, bruised up. Yeah, but it was when I hit my mother that I was, because I, I actually blacked out. I don't even remember doing it. Just like in like her. an angry fit of rage. You just yeah. can't even remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I remember when I finally came to my senses, I was at a park. I had no idea how I'd gotten here, hmm. anything like that. But um, I, my aunt found me, and she took me back home and showed me the bruises on my mother. And they were like, you did this. You did this. And I like, I really couldn't believe it. I locked myself like in a room, and I was just like, I, I was crying like crazy. I started like hurting myself and just scratching my face because I was like, I'm my father, and it, it was, I didn't want to be hmm. him. So I went all crazy, and I ended up having to move with my father, and that was horrible. So your your ninth, tenth grade, you move in with your dad. Mm-hmm. No, that was a little bit before that, because when I um, when I encountered God, I was in high school. Okay. When I moved away with my father was eighth grade. Wow. So now it, it sounds to me like how you're describing it, like mom is almost like a like a buffer, like a protection from dad. And now you kind of find yourself living alone with dad. What was what was yeah. that like? It was, so he's, it was horrible. I really, that was probably like the worst thing that ever could happen. Because one, I hated him. I hated him so much. I didn't want anything to be like him. And then I ended up hitting my mother. And I was like, I'm, I'm just like him. And then I go and I move in with him. And it was like all his ideals were just being pushed onto me. Hmm. And it was like, if you want to eat today, you better work for it. And I was like, no one's going to give you anything for free in life. No one. 
So if you want to eat today, if you want to get some food, you better work for it. So he would take me and go like work construction with him and stuff like that. So wow, yeah. So you're like 13, 14 years old, and and are you going to school full time? Is it kind of like when your dad feels like sending you to school, you go? What's it was summer break, so yeah. I had like all this time just away from school and living with. So it was like two months of just being with my father. Okay. Yeah. So just. Fast forward back to you have this encounter with God, your your grandmother passes mm-hmm. peacefully and you, you see that, but you still kind of got a, a messed up idea in your words of who God is. What what are kind of the, the steps that you feel like God began to tug at your heart or, or catch your attention where maybe you started to, to have a, a better understanding of who God really is? Um, it wasn't until like my junior year, and that was actually when I met Abby. And she, for the first time um, in my life, gave me a Bible. And it was like... So your, your current wife and the co-director of youth ministry is the first person to give you a Bible. Yes. Was it in Spanish or English? English. And it's, the, it's the Bible I have right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I had no idea. Yep. Okay, so tell us, tell us that story. And um, did you ask her to marry you on the spot? <laughs> no. no. You had to wait a little while? A little bit. Okay. But um, my, the church that I was going to was all Spanish. So oh, okay. it was like pure Spanish. And, um, yeah, so she had invited me to go to her church. And so I would. And i go with her, and she was like, a, like when we first started dating, the first thing she told me, she's like, I need you to know that you will always come second to God. And I was like, got it. You know, like that's, that's spot on, awesome. And so she was like a huge encourager in my life to start reading the Bible and get connected with your father, like God. And I was, and I was like, whoa, my father. But... So, so you're you're now you just celebrated one year of marriage to Abby. What is this? Seven, eight years later? Uh, six. Okay, six years later. Yeah. From when you first met. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, very early on, just I mean, the story is almost like angelic. Like you go from abusive situation to all of a sudden, who's now your wife hands you a Bible? Yeah. Uh, how how on earth did you convince Abby to date you? I have no idea. Honestly, it's all God. Uh, I, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. Like the first time I even remember trying to talk to her, I froze. And I, didn't, I had no idea what to say. She had asked me a question and I just stood there. And how did you guys meet? At high school. Okay, at high school? Yeah. Were you in like a class together? We were in choir together. In choir. Okay, this is starting to ring a bell. Okay, so you're in choir. You clearly have a crush on her because you freeze up just trying to talk to her. Yeah. Like, I saw her come in through the door because we were in the choir class and stuff. We had, like, a party. Like, oh, congratulations, you made it. And she walked in through the door, and I remember turning to my friend. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's an angel, like, walking through the door. And then the way the, the building was, like, the sunlight would hit through the door back. Okay. So she legit opened the door. The sun rays are coming in, and it was like doves could be flying. <laughs> that was, like, the first image, and I was like, wow. Well, you're going to score points when she hears this, too. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so she walks through the door. She doesn't even speak to you. She just has the open Bible. I don't, yes. To John three sixteen. she's like, hello, Joel, here's the Bible. Yeah. Or, or what happened then? So we started talking. First of all, I didn't, I didn't want to just be like, oh, you know, I like you, like me, let's be my girlfriend. I, was, I, w- I really wanted to be a gentleman, so I was like, I need to take her on three dates before... I asked her to be my girlfriend. Just Is that like a, a family rule, or where did you come up with that? It was just like chivalry to me. Like, that's, that's what you do when you date or when you're interested in someone. Like, take them out first. So you just had that in you? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
So that's my encouragement to everybody. Also, I'm always like, take them on dates. Don't just be boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, show them that you you care, and then continue that. But yeah, I took her on three dates, and then asked her to be my girlfriend, and she said yeah. And then, um, but we between them, she had asked me if I was Christian, like when we were beginning dating, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I am Christian, but. It was like she didn't know that my idea of Christianity and God was like completely different. Yeah, from hers. yeah. So you fooled her. That's how you got her to date. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So junior in high school is that where we're at? Yeah. Okay. So I, I know a little bit about your backstory because you're at this time you're not just going to school. You're also working quite yeah. a bit. So I had been over like the span of high school. I've been like kicked out of my house like four times, and I would run away and stuff like that just because. Ever since what happened between my mother, me and my mother, when I hit her and everything, it was like, our relationship was never the same. So it was just bad. So I'd be out and in and out and in and in. And she told me when I turned 18, I would be kicked out of the house. And I was like, okay, okay, got it. So it was my senior year, actually. On January, when I turned 18, she said, you're out. Get out of my house. And I was like, all right, it's fine. I knew it. I knew it was coming. And so I needed money, and so I started, like, applying to jobs. And all this time I'm telling Abby, I'm like, don't tell your parents, don't tell your parents. Because I was like, if they know about me and my struggles, they're never going to let me date their daughter, you know? They're not going to be like, oh, no, get away. And I had really liked Abby. So I was like, please don't tell your parents, like, don't tell them anything. Is that how you talked when you were a senior in high school? Yeah, I was like, please, please but don't tell them. <laughs> she did. She did end up telling them everything, and they were praying for me, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I got kicked out when I was 18, and I would stay in, like, random places. Like, and Abby was a huge help. I would stay either at my cousin's backyard shed. I would find a friend's, like, porch to crash the night in and stuff like that. So I was just wandering and wandering. And, then, um, and still showing up for school in the morning. Showing up for school in the morning. And I was, like, a huge advocate of, like, hey, you just smile through the pain, which... Or not advocate, but it was like built into me with when my father saying like, no one's going to care for you. No one is going to help you. So, you know, who cares? So I would go to school and I'd have like the smile on my face and everything. So I never told anybody what I was going through. I didn't want them to pity me because I was so prideful and I didn't want people to help me because I felt like no one would ever help me. It was just all me by myself. And I remember my friend um, who was like, I stayed at his house a couple nights. He's like, just ask your father to help you. Ask your father. And I was like, no, man, you don't know my father. He doesn't care. And then he was like, just text him. And so then I texted my father. I was like, hey, I've been, you know, kicked out of the house. I have nowhere to stay. Uh, like, can you help me? And he texted me. And I still have the text message just because I was like, I, just to prove it to them. It was like, oh, you know, I don't care, bro. Good luck. And that was like all my father had sent me. And I was like, this isn't. This doesn't come as a surprise to me, but my friend was like in shock, and I was like, "I told you." So, but Abby was would give me rides. Like she would give me a ride to my cousin's house who lived in Riverside, and at that point I was in Corona, who lived in Riverside, and I would stay at his house and like his backyard shed. He had like a, a little spot that I would go and sleep in, and like his dog would come in, and he he like tore up all my shoes. And so, yeah, and I didn't have any money or anything like that. So I would go to school with like ripped shoes and stuff like that. And people would be like making fun of me and I'd just be like, ha, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And all the while. So at at this time, how many people do you think knew what was really going on? uh, Abby and her family. But I didn't even know that her family knew. So in your mind, the only person in the entire world that knows any of this is Abby. 
Yeah. And some maybe friends know bits and pieces. Yeah. I don't know the whole story. Yeah, yeah, some friends and stuff. So you're just walking out your senior year of high school, like everything is totally fine. You're sleeping in a shed where mm-hmm. the dog is literally eating your shoes. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out how on earth you're going to make some money. Yeah. And so, I got hired at Albertsons and then started making money. Okay, so you got hired at Albertsons. I had a friend, his name's Raphael, and he, he was, once he found out, he was like, come stay in my place. And he gave me his room, and he would sleep in the living room, and he would let me stay at his, in his bed. And I was just like, wow, you know, and his family was so kind, and they would give me rights to schools because I was still in school at this time. And they would give me right to school and everything. And I was like, whoa. And then I actually wasn't talking to my sister at this point because I had I had tried to reach out to a teacher. And uh, I said, hey, like, I'm, I'm really struggling. And I was wondering if you can help me. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, I need a place to stay. And she said, come stay with me. Of course, you know, like, and she's our choir teacher. Abby and I are choir teacher. Yeah. And I had told my sister, I was like, I finally found a place to stay. Like, I think it's going good. And my sister ended up telling my mom, and then my mom and my sister ganged up on me, and they're like, we're going to call the cops on the teacher, and you're not going to have, you know, like, that's illegal, you can't stay with the teacher, it's against the law. And the teacher was tr- in the process of adoption, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to ruin anything, you know, like, with yeah. that. So I remember going to Starbucks with Abby, because it was the only place I had free Wi-Fi, I was like sitting down on a laptop on like Facebook Messenger, messaging the teacher like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I overreacted. Everything's okay. I'm fine." I was just like crying at a Starbucks, and I was like, "I'm doing great. Like, I'm so sorry I worried you. It was just you know, over dramatic and stuff like that." But but really, you were just hedging because the, yeah. you had told her really was the truth. Yeah, yeah. But somewhere in your mind, you just thought she's trying to adopt a child. I'm going to ruin everything. For yeah, her. almost like you're you're going to be a burden. Yes her so all the while all this is going on you're doing high school and you're working Mm -hmm. like how often are you sleeping at this point in your life oh i don't even remember honestly it was it was crazy because i still um i would actually leave my sixth period early and get to work because they would i needed as much hours as i can fit in how many hours a week were you working um i was working probably like 20 to like 32 Twenty to thirty-two as a yeah. high school student. As a high school. I was eighteen, so I was able to work those hours. Okay, so I know a little bit of the backstory because you come on at Albertsons. I assume you're doing kind of the lowly menial task, but yeah. it doesn't really stay stay that way for long. No. So, so paint a picture here. What what happens next? So I worked my way all the way up. <laughs> I was I started off as just pushing carts and bagging, and that's what you do. And then um, I like within the two months, I got promoted to cashier, and I was like. I would always say yes to coming in. I would always show up on time. I only missed two days in the three years that I worked there. I came in late. Only two days I came in late. I would always come in, never missed a day or anything. So they noticed that. And I would go, go, go. And so they eventually they were like, oh, do you want to work customer service? And I was like, yeah, sure. So then I did that. And then they were like, oh, do you want to work um, in like the liquor department. And I was like, sure, I can do that. I'm 18 years old, but sure. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, you know what? You're doing a great job. Do you want to manage the liquor department? And I was like, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't know that. So you're not even 21 years old nope. and you're managing the liquor department yeah. at a major grocery store. So I was ordering. I was like contacting vendors and everything. I was, I was just handling the whole like liquor department. 
So if you if you had to, I mean, step back and tell a high school student now, would you advise working in the liquor department, or probably not a good idea? Uh, I say go for it. I mean, you don't you're not drinking it or I'm anything. <laughs> So you work your way all the way up to manager, and how old are you? And yeah. how many people are working under you at this so, time? So, oh man, they were so mad because it would be people who had been with the company for, for like forty years. Okay, and I became manager of them. So, I, how old were you? I was I was all under twenty one, so I was probably like twenty nineteen nineteen when I became manager, and then I was twenty when I worked my way up into becoming um, like working the books and being in the system and stuff it's wild so yeah. so now you're making some money do you move into an apartment yes. what do you, so you just start paying for your own apartment yeah so i moved into apartment with two friends and it's crazy and i love abby so much because the two people that i moved into they were both girls and abby like trusted me I, like I, I i still think about it i'm like you you are amazing you look back and realize like whoa that took yeah. a great deal of trust for a couple yeah. of teenagers yeah and the two girls that i moved in with they were like my friends throughout high school so they they're like sisters and abby knows them and we still contact do still have contact with them but they were like they were like my closest friends and yeah abby let me move in with them and i was like whoa so you're you're working at albertson's you're on your way up to being a manager and somewhere along in there you graduate from high school yeah was that like exciting was it more of just a relief like finally that phase of life is over yeah, yeah, it was like it was also kind of scary because I had finished um, high school, I graduated, and I was like, yeah. Then I felt like at the end of Nemo, when all the fishes escape out of the window and they're in the ocean, and they're like, uh, now what? You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> even though the even though the aquarium's not the best place ever, it has yeah. some safety and some like boundary markers. Definitely, yeah. So I didn't go to college right away. All I did was go straight into work. So then I, I was working like forty hours. Okay. So at some point in there, you, you know, you work your way all the way up to what seems to be like one of the best positions you can get at the grocery store, but clearly God shows back up because there's stories brewing all along the way. So towards the end of high school, you don't just stay a a fake Christian that's pretending to impress a girl. You actually started like reading a Bible and, Mm -hmm. and learning these sorts of things. So along the way, as these things are beginning to happen, what, what's God doing in your life behind the scenes? So all this going on, like, he really, really humbled me because the, um, the biggest problem that I feel like I have is, like, my pride. And I think it's a lot. It's because I learned it from my father. And it was, I was so prideful, and I felt like everything I did I could do by myself. And no one, no one is going to help me. So I need to earn everything. I need to work for everything. I need to do everything by myself. And um, it wasn't like it was my senior year when all this help started to come in and Abby's parents like stepped in and were giving me advice. And it really like humbled me and it like broke. It really broke down like a layer that I had built up. And it was like, I'm OK to rely on other people. Like hmm. it's OK to rely on on friends and stuff. So that was going on. But I still had like a, a like a huge amount of guilt that I was carrying. And I didn't break until like we went into YWAM in Montana. Wow. Yeah. So you were, you were carrying a lot of that stuff along with you. Mm-hmm. So y- you finish high school, you're working at Albertsons, you somehow convince Abby that she should continue to date you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for people who don't know, because you keep saying it, when, when you're saying Abby's parents, that is currently your mother and father-in-law. Yes. Okay. 
so that that's a, a part of the story that we're going to have to kind of weave back to. But uh, so you get out of high school and you're out of the aquarium. You're in the open ocean. What what kind of things are, are going on behind the scenes? Are you letting people in to this was the real story of my life in high school, or is it still a very guarded? You're not talking about it kind of thing. So in high school, um, the teacher that I had asked to help me, her name is Amy, our choir teacher. She she had found out about everything that I was going through. And I think it was like Abby who had talked to her. And um, so then it was, we went on like tour. We would go on tours and stuff like that. Oh, like a choir tour. A choir tour, huh? And we were in Washington, D.C. And she like shared what I was going through to like this board of, like it's called World Strides, which is like the choir competition and stuff like that. And I and, like, she shared my story and as she was speaking, I was just sitting down in the audience, and I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like me, like what I'm going through. And I was like, man, shout out to whoever's going through that. Like, I feel your pain. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, so we want to give this award to this person. And then they said my name, and I was just like, what? So then from there on, like, everybody knew what I was going through. Okay. And, yeah, and it was it was really cool. But it was also like, man, I really don't want people to pity me because then people afterwards would come up to me and they would apologize for being mean to me or apologize for, like, something they said. And they were like, I didn't know you were going through that. And, yeah, yeah. and then from her, like, other teachers found out and they ended up, like, contacting me. And Was that a weird feeling? Because, I mean, you just told me the only person who really knew everything was Abby. Mm-hmm. Then very publicly, everyone knows now. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was weird, but I mean that's what like humbled me because then it was all these people who are like, we want to help you or we want to you know like we didn't know that you were going through this alone and stuff. So yeah, they, yeah, I really I really felt loved. Yeah. So how old are you now, Joel? I am twenty two. Okay, twenty two. You got married when you were twenty one. Mm-hmm. So we're closing this gap pretty quickly um, because Abby doesn't really just stay your girlfriend for too much longer uh you guys get engaged and now you're married but uh I, I imagine maybe some some young people or even parents of young people thinking like hey that's a conversation that i'll have to have with my my child or with a future spouse what, what was kind of the the build-up for you how did how did you feel like god was telling you it was time you know people are getting married older and older in 2021 now how did you decide at that age, like, you know what, I, I want to ask Abby to marry me and we're just going to go for it? Uh, it was, it was like really, really random because we had, we were going up on our like five years um, and we had been like talking about it here and there and we were just like, oh, I don't know, maybe we should wait, maybe we shouldn't because we were so young, but we were just like praying about it. And we just left it at that. And then our anniversary is in September. And we're just like, oh, like, don't expect it. You know, don't expect to get married and stuff. But, like, I wake up one day and I just, like, get dressed. And I'm walking out the door. And I'm like, where am I going right now? Like, I was I was so just my body was going without me wanting it to. And I get in the car. And I'm driving over to Abby's house. And I know Abby's at work, but I don't know if, like, her parents are home or anything like that. And I'm just driving to Abby's house. And I'm like, uh, like, am I about to ask my father-in-law if I can have his blessing? And I was, like, so nervous. I'm like, what is going on? I was just driving. And then I get to the house, and I'm like, 
no, this can't be happening. So then I drive around like the block like two times. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know if they're home. I don't know if Jared's home, Jared's Abby's father. I don't know if Barry's home. I don't know if they have company over. Like, this isn't the right time. And I always envisioned like if I were to propose or ask for the blessing, I would take them out like on a, on a we'd go fishing and have like cactus cooler, which is like a running joke between him and I and like. I don't know, like have a dinner and then cactus cooler, like the the super soda, soda. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I had all this completely like envisioned, but like it was just like it was the Lord, like no, today's the day. And so I show up after making two rounds. I'm like parked in front of their house, and I was like, I can't do this. I can't. Like I'm just gonna go home. And then like my phone notification goes off, and it's like a Bible verse, and it's like, uh, do not be weary. Like the Lord is with you. And it was just like, oh gosh, like you're with me right now. You know, I, I have. I have no reason to be scared. Yeah. So then I, I close, I get out the, the, the car, I go inside, I like, I just, my head is going crazy. So I'm like, should I ring the doorbell? Should I knock? Or should I just walk in? Like, what should I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> so then I, I ring the doorbell, I knock, and then I walk in just because my brain was just like, do it all. And it just so happened that Jarrett was the only person there today. It was like, they usually have everyone over. Everyone's always over. Kids are over or anything or family. But it was just Jared alone by himself. And it was like, whoa. And he had worship music playing. And it was, it was like a full-on, like, it was perfect. Like, it was something I couldn't set up. And it was definitely set up by the Lord. Nice. So so he said yes or check back in six months? Or what was, yeah, the, so what was I, that conversation? People always like to know these sorts of things. What was that conversation like? It was, it was so um, unreal. Like, it really felt like, like my life is a movie. Because I go in. I'm nervous. I'm beating around the bush. And then I was like, all right, listen, I want to ask for your blessing to Mary Abbey. And I just like, you know, just said it. And he like, the first thing he said was like, there is no doubt in my mind that you are the one for my daughter. And I was just like, oh, it like hit me so deep. And I was just like, I was terrified. You know, I was terrified because I was like, I've been homeless like four or five times in front of their faces. And you know, like, how are they going to think? Like, how are you going to take care of my daughter and all this stuff? And he was like, pray with me. And so we prayed then and there. And he just was praying over me. And I started crying. He started crying. And it was like, it felt like, like, yes. You know, and then he told me, he was like, yeah, you have my blessing. As far as my blessing goes, I wouldn't imagine anyone else. And it was like, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, man, that's a wild, that's a wild story. What a, what a cool thing to, to have a father-in-law that knows the Lord and knows your heart for his daughter yeah. that well, right? Yeah. That would have been a terrifying conversation if he didn't. Yeah, and I remember Dawn to Dusk was playing. Okay, the worship song. Yeah. So it's just like burned in your memory in there. Yeah. So I, I, I know you relatively well. I think we're, we're friends. We're getting to know each other better. But so I, I think that between us, there's like this give and take. There's a given that throughout this whole story, especially towards the end of this story, you you just have like a, a blossoming love and relationship with God. Yeah. You made a comment earlier that, that Abby said, uh, we can basically date, but I want you to know that you'll always be second. Mm-hmm. And I, it sounded like at that time, that was a foreign concept to you, but that concept didn't stay foreign because I... I know that you have a, a, a wonderful relationship with God. So maybe just um, describe a little bit. You're 19, you're 20 years old, you're working like crazy. You have this life experience that's, you know, broken. Some of it's been redeemed. Some of it's yet to be redeemed. But 
you're kind of settling into a relationship with with God. What what was that like? Um, it was awesome. It was it really it seriously feels like chains being broken, like something that you've been carrying and it like snaps, and then you walk, and then something else is being broken. And like I learned forgiveness for my father and all this stuff, and there was a lot. There was a lot, but um, yeah, it was it was growing and like understanding like oh I I. This guy loves me. Like, God loves me. He doesn't just want to punish me. And, like, this God is not a genie in a bottle, you know, that other, like, I can't just wish for it. Yeah. But he's also not like some mafia man that's all like, oh, you want this? Well, then you better give me this. <laughs> that's how, it, you know, that's how yeah. it was for my grandmother. So it was like, it was just breaking chains and these false ideas yeah. that I had of God. And um, it wasn't until we went to, like, YWAM that I realized that, like, the thing that was holding me back from fully embracing, like, God was this guilt I had for myself of, like, things that I didn't do in the past. Mm. And, um, yeah, when that happened, it was, like, full-on sprinting towards the Lord. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about this YWAM, because that's, that's another chapter we haven't gotten to yet. Mm. So you're, you got Jared's blessing. That's your father-in-law. you you're going to ask Abby to marry you. And, and how long between asking his permission was it before you actually uh, pulled the trigger? So I asked him in July. Okay. End of June, early July. And then we, I, got, I proposed to Abby in September. Okay. So a couple months. So you, you proposed to her. And, uh, you know, probably if there's some, some high school girls, not to stereotype, they're going to want to hear this story. So why don't you tell us the, the proposal story? All right, so right after I asked him and I got his blessing, um, I was like, my head was just like, oh, filled with ideas, fireworks, parachuting. Like, I, w- I was like... Parachuting into fireworks. Yeah, I was like, what if I parachute off a plane and, like, when I'm getting close to landing, I have a mini parachute with the ring on it and then I land and then it lands in my hand, you know? Like, that would oh. be amazing. And I was just going, like, beyond. And then I read an article of a man who died proposing to his uh, (laughs) girlfriend in an aquarium. He, like, ran out of breath and drowned. And she, like, witnessed him drown. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was like, I need to slow it down. Save a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up um, contacting this artist that I know that Abby liked. And we had gotten, like, work done from her before. And I was like, hey, can you draw me in, like, uh, like as if I'm proposing and these outfits? And I gave her specific outfits because I, I knew Abby had, like, this, like, red coat and this pink dress and, like, some um, heels. And I was like, can you do it in front of her door? And then she did. And so I got this printed out, like, this poster. And um, I go to our – I go to her house to pick her up on the day that I'm proposing. And my sister's hiding in the car. And I was like, oh, like, please don't expect that I'm proposing. She was like, okay, okay, won't. And then we, I pick her up and I give her like a bracelet. And I was like, here's this bracelet. You know, I'm sorry I didn't get you a ring, but um, I still wanted to give you some bling. And she was like, okay, cool. So we drive off. And then when we drive off, my sister gets that, like, that portrait of me proposing and she puts it at the door. And I was like, oh, no, I forgot my wallet, but I'd done that on purpose. Hey, and then I drive back around, yeah, and she, I was like, can you go check if I left it in, in the house? 
And she was like, sure. And then she walks up. She walks up to the door and she sees the frame. And so then she turns it around and it's a picture of me proposing to her. And she's like, what? So then she turns around and then I'm kneeling down and I propose to her. Whoa. Yeah. Dang. That's it's simple and clean, but like pretty creative. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was it. So you guys, uh, you guys are engaged and you're already planning not just for being married, but you're planning because you feel like God has laid something on your heart and you're going to head off to Mexico or at least you're going you're gonna to enter some missions, right? Yeah. And that's kind of where your story and my story intersect because at that point, um, I had had one conversation about you uh, probably four or five years ago. Uh, I was driving back from taking a bunch of students to uh, a trip in San Francisco in the the Tenderloin, and um, I had sort of got to know Abby, and I felt like she was maybe one of the students on the trip with me that I didn't know super well. And so one of the the tricks I used to say is like, hey, uh, Abby, uh, you get to ride shotgun. And, you know, kids immediately think, like, wow, I get the front seat. Really what that means is you got to be buckled in and talk to me for three hours. Um, so I just started talking to her, and she she told me all about you. And I was thinking, like, oh, Joel's going to be on this, you know, first... Uh-oh. I think I... There we go. I'm not sure what's happening. Am I running out of battery, maybe? No? Okay. I think I bumped my... Uh, yeah, I think I bumped the, uh, the mic there. So, uh, anyways, Abby's sitting in the front seat with me, and I was trying to think, uh, what do I remember about that conversation? All I remember is... Um, she was very excited about you. I had never met you. I didn't know what you looked like. I didn't know any of your backstory. I just know, oh, she's a, she's a very genuine girl who really has this thing for this guy named Joel. And the one thing I remember her telling me over and over and over was how reliable you were. So a couple of years go by, and um, how does it work? You might have to fill me in. Abby starts volunteering in the youth group with me. Mm-hmm we make this announcement that I'm going to begin transitioning away from doing youth ministry here at Bridge into a new role. And the idea starts getting pitched that, hey, let's separate high school from middle school. Let's make them two distinct things. And I I remember thinking, like, I love that idea if we have the right people. So uh, we just started started praying, and I, I felt like, man, Abby is the right person. I know her. I know her heart. And I felt like God was like very, very sure that that means Joel too. They come as a package. So you guys weren't married yet. You were engaged. And I remember just right right here on the bottom of these steps, I, I was like, you know what? I, I can't really wait. I don't want like a f- formal, creepy conversation. So, hey, uh, Joel and Abby, you guys want to run middle school at Bridge Community Church? And you guys were like, yeah, sounds pretty good. So we began working together. Uh, but we knew all along, what was that? That was like the summertime, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys came in right in the middle of the unknown of COVID. Mm-hmm. We knew full well you were going to give us six months because you had other plans. Mm-hmm. You guys were heading off first to Montana and then eventually to... That was in between Montana. So we went to Montana, then came back, and that's when we talked. Okay. Okay, so now now I'm getting the picture right. That's right. So you had already been to Montana. Mm-hmm. You came back and worked here, and then you were like, we'll do it for six months while you find something else, and then we're heading to Mexico. Yeah. So many people know that about you, especially if people are listening and they, they come to church here with us, but maybe 
tell us some of the stuff that people won't know, maybe some of the ways that God kind of led you or called you to that specific place. What were like the, the relationships that God put all in order, the conversations? How did you determine that we're going to get married and we're going to immediately move to Mexico as missionaries, which seems very explosive and big idea to a lot of people. So, so walk us through that. So it was all right before we went to Montana. Um, Abby was sharing what she felt the Lord was putting on her heart. And she said, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being called into missions. And I want to do a school with YWAM. And they have a five-month program where you go, you study the Bible, and you study um, all this stuff for three months. And then you go overseas for two months. And you, um, yeah, you be, it's missionary, right? And she was like, I just don't know where we, you know, where our relationship, like, would grow if, like, you know, we, she said we won't be equally yoked. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. I was like, I get it. And I was like, well, you know, let's pray about it, you know, and if let's see what the Lord wants to take us. And so we did. And um, she said she had a feeling too. Then I was like, you know what? Like, I think I'm being called to also, you know, but I don't think we should go together. Like, I don't think we should do YWAM together. I think we should do it separately so that the focus isn't on each other. Yeah. And, you know, we could actually focus and pay attention to what God is teaching us individually. Bro, that's way more mature than I was when I was 20. I'd be like, what do I got to do to make sure I stay right with you? <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really cool because we were like, yeah, you know, we really feel like God is saying that also. Yeah. And so we, we did that. I applied for um, like YWAM in the fall and she applied for YWAM in um, winter. And um, then... We submitted our applications to Montana, and we like let them know, like, oh, you know, we we are engaged, and um, we don't we don't mind going different schools and all this stuff. We know we don't want to focus on each other, and plus, they had a rule that they didn't really like couples going. Okay, and so they prayed about it, and they had a like a Zoom call with us, and it was like it's not normal for them to do that, and they were like, hey, we feel the Lord is like really laying on our hearts that you guys should come together, come to a school together. And we were like, um, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, we'll do it. Like, even better for us. But, yeah. you know, we, we were never the kind of couple that was, like, all over each other in public. And we really respected others. It's, like, a huge thing. Like, we just want other people to feel comfortable around us, too, you know. And so we were like, yeah, yeah, you know, let's do it. And so we go. We go to Montana. And um, it's supposed to be the five-month thing. But COVID happens in the middle. And we get, like, sent back home. So how long are you actually there before they send you home? We're there for three months. January, so right before February. you leave on your two-month mission, they'd send you home. Yeah. It was actually the week of. They were like, all right, you know, we're going to... First, they were like, you're going to Indonesia and Myanmar. But then Myanmar was, like, really sketchy with, like, hospital stuff. And if we were to get sick, um, it'd probably be bad. So then they were like, okay, scratch that. Uh, we're just going to Indonesia. And then they were like, scratch that. Scratch that. We're going to St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And then they were like, uh, you're going home. Scratch that, you're going to Orange County, California. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was like, it's a whole God process because I'm like, man, I've, I've been homeless before and I've been so scared of not having a place to go. And I had ended my lease and everything. And, you know, I'm in Montana. I left everything behind. I was like, I'm not scared. Like the God, God I've learned, like he has provided for me over and over again. Yeah. Like I really am not terrified. And then I remember my friends like, so what are you going to do when you go back home? Like, are you going to wait and then come back? Or are you going to go work at the same job? And I was like, 
I'm going to work in my church. I was like, I'm going to go work in my church and I am going to be working with the youth. And just like, just, just like replied out of, there was no talking. This is before I even asked you. Before you even asked us, like. I didn't know this. Yeah, it was completely just like, I just, like the Lord spoke through me. I feel like he like predestined it, you know. And so we come back home, um, like when church opens up, we come and then, you know, we had that conversation and and then we're like, yeah. And then it just happens. Yep. So you go from thinking you're going to Myanmar, Indonesia, and now you're Mm -hmm. working with 15 sixth graders in Orange County. Yep. Is that a a whiplash or what was? So, um, Abby and I, we, we love the youth. We love kids. We love, we're all for it. So. It was, like, fun. It was really fun. And it was like, man, I could do this my whole life. Like, we could do this for forever, I felt like. You know, like, this is something that it was like a dream doing and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. But you come back for, I don't know how long, and then where does the the call to head to Mexico come in? So that was actually when we were in Montana. Um, Our second week, uh, we had a speaker come in. Her name is Carrie. And Carrie was speaking on like hearing God's voice, and she was telling us about a base that she had. She and her husband were starting down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and she was just going down the list of things that she needed, like oh, we don't have anybody like for we don't have worship, you know, we just like worship off of like music and stuff like that. So we don't have a worship team. Um, we don't have anybody that speaks Spanish on our team. We don't have, um, like, any kids or youth, like, targeted ministries and stuff like that. So, you know, we're in need of, of help. And um, So you were like, hey, I work with middle schoolers. I speak Spanish, and I'm, like, really good yeah. at singing, so, so uh, I'm your guy. Yeah, that was before the middle school thing, but we were like, we love kids. Yeah. You know, we love kids ministry. Well, I speak Spanish. Abby and I both were in choir. Like, we're, you know, we fit the needs. So it was like, if you can go, why don't you? You know, that's what you felt like God was saying to you. Like, why not me? Yeah. So you come until, let's see, summer and then right around like Christmas, New Year's. And I remember that's the timing because on the big Christmas Eve service, you uh, gave me a call and said, hey, I'm pretty sure we both have COVID. So uh, I'll see you when we get back from Mexico, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was whack because we didn't have Christmas either. So we were just like. And we were also moving out. This is your first Christmas as a married couple. Yeah. You're both positive. You pretty much have COVID. Did you end up having it? No, no. But Abby's mom had COVID. So it was like, and then Abby was sick. And so we're like, oh, it's pretty much COVID. But first, you you get married in September. Your first Christmas ever is just the two of you quarantined. Yeah. How'd that go? It was, it was so stressful because we were planning on leaving for Mexico. So we were moving out of our, where we were living at. And planning a trip to, like, you know, we were flying out within, like, the week or something. And then Abby's mom had COVID. And I was just like, oh, no. And so we had to call the people in Mexico, like, hey, um, we don't want to bring COVID to you guys. So we had to quarantine. We changed our flights. We ended up moving into Abby's house with their parents and stuff like that for, like, the two, four weeks that we were in quarantine. Okay, then you, you get out of quarantine and you do go to Mexico. Yeah, we went straight there. So you fly down to Mexico, the two of you. Mm-hmm. Have you visited there before you got there? It was my first time. First time? Abby had been like two in Puerto Vallarta. First time in Mexico. Oh, you'd never been to Mexico? Never. Uh-uh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
So you grew up speaking Spanish with two parents that were from Mexico and you had never been? Never. Okay, so the first time you ever are in Mexico is when your plane touches down and you're getting off to go be a missionary there. Yeah. And you're there because you're supposed to change the world there. Yeah. So, some, like some way, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. You, your brand new bride, you're in Mexico, mm-hmm. place you've never been before, yeah. you speak the language, and that's pretty much what you got going for you. So what is that, what is that like? What is the feeling kind of going through your head? What are you feeling at that moment? Um, it felt so, like, natural, oh. and it felt so familiar like I understand, I really understood why my parents would talk the way they do, say the slang that they would use. Mm. And I was just like, oh, it all makes sense. Like the Hispanic culture, I was like, okay. Oh, so I like a lot of it. your life, like began to come into focus a little bit. Yeah. So I was, I, I realized I was basically living a life in the U.S. as if I were in Mexico. You know, I was living a Hispanic life in the U.S. You know, and it's like a funny story, but I always like to tell it. But um, and in Mexico, toilet paper can't be flushed down the toilet. Like their their pipes can't handle it and stuff right. like that. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that in the states you can't you can flush toilet paper. Oh, you didn't know you could in the no. states. No, because my parents knew that their whole lives. So my whole life, we throw toilet paper in the trash can, right? So it wasn't until I was with Abby that I figured that out. <laughs> She was, yeah, she's on the top of me that. Did you think she was like, like trying to pull a fast one on you? <clears throat> no, it was, I just felt so like, what? Like, wh- I never even thought as to why do we do this? It was just like, you do it, you know? Because that's what you do. That's what you do. <laughs> but, like my whole life, public school and everything, never. Yeah. Okay, so you're, uh, you're now like, you got like a title, you got a name, people are expecting you, you work with YWAM, yeah. you are Joel... Joel. Your wife is Abby, and you were there because you're going to do some awesome stuff. Yeah. So the majority of what we did was teach English. Okay. But we also, um, we got, we, when we got there, we just got so invested and got so connected to the people, to the um, organization, and to, like, the community, you know. So we, we went in, we started working with the social media stuff, and we became, like, a huge we just took control over that. We took control over the English classes, so we started teaching English to um, uh, the people. Then we had classes and stuff like that, and we were doing all that stuff. Okay. Um, and then eventually, uh, with because I had like um, experience doing finances and doing books and stuff like that, I took over that also. So we just went in and got to work like hardcore. So were you having like the collision of a couple worlds? Like like you had this traumatic upbringing that led you, whether you loved it or not, to Albertsons. You work your way all the way up to being the manager of people who had been there for 40 years. Yeah. I, I don't imagine that you like absolutely loved that job. It just was. But now you're working in Mexico as a missionary and all of a sudden you're starting to see some of that hard work is coming back into yeah. play. Like that expertise matters. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's the way that only God can make it. Like it's the, the steps that, and the plans that only he can create, you know, like I would never, I would never be so creative enough to be like, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna work at Albertsons so that when I become a missionary, I can go overseas and do the books and stuff like that or yeah. anything like that. And we also had, um, uh, my favorite like ministry was going to a rehab. We would go to rehab every, um, Wednesday and oh 
I also translated a lot. That was my main thing. I was because I could speak Spanish mm-hmm. as a translator. But um, like I got to share one time and I shared my testimony with the guys and it was like they all related and they it was like, man, like I went all through what I went through and now I can like share that with these guys and, you know, like bring them Jesus into their lives and stuff like that. So it was like awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been surreal to them to have somebody speaking their language that had never been to their country. Yeah, that at such a young age could relate with so much. Yeah, that's yeah, it's just powerful the way that God kind of weaves things together. I, I mean, there's so many lessons to be had there, but you know, as you're doing youth ministry now, and we'll get to that. But what a what a cool story! I hope many of your students are listening. That sometimes along the way you do things and you throw up your arms. Why on earth am I here? But God has a way of bringing those things back yeah. into play. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. One of my favorite stories you just told me uh, before we we started recording was um, that working there in Mexico gave you this vision for just being creative and saying like instead of why why not. Mm-hmm. Tell me a, a little bit more, because I'm just curious. You were telling me about uh, the soccer ministry, just looking around. Everyone loves soccer. Why don't we just start a soccer ministry? What, what was that about? It was, uh, we had a team from Montana, the same base that we were at for a little bit. They came down to Mexico, like, and they wanted to serve. And then um, we typically ask them, like, oh, what are your team's strengths and stuff like that? And they will list it. And um, one of them was like, oh, you know, we like playing soccer. And then we're like, could we do a soccer ministry? And it's like, why not? And we did. So then we just go buy a bunch of soccer balls, get um, cones, like look for a field and just set it up. And it was just like that. It was like it was so flexible all the time. And I remember there was like um, we were having English classes and then like this huge rainstorm comes and it's it's storming and people don't want to go outside and we're like, hey, this is a community center. You don't have to go outside. And we're like, why don't we just make this into a movie night? And so we did. And so we just start making popcorn and get a whole bunch of candy out and, and start feeding the community. And we just sit down and watch a movie with them. And there was no like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't because people are busy. Or maybe we shouldn't because uh, people don't like this candy. It was just like, just do it. Yeah. Just, there's nothing stopping you. And it, like, it really like emboldened us to be like, we can do it. We can do it. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Just kind of a sidebar. I'm I'm just curious. So I, I didn't realize that you had never been to Mexico before. Yeah. Like, and, and you're already saying that it, like it almost brought some of your earlier life into focus. Yeah. What What about Mexico? Did you just see maybe outside of missions and outside of church and some of the ministries you're doing outside of that? What did you just love about Mexico? Where you saw it and thought like, wow, this this is making sense. I love this. The people the the hospitality like it is unreal like no one is more important than the person in front of you over there it didn't matter if they were like running late to work if they saw you and they know you like the most interesting thing and the most important thing was you so they'll stop and they'll talk and be like whoa what are you doing today how are you feeling how's life and it was like everything else doesn't matter besides the person people would show up late all the time and it was just because, like, oh, why'd you, why were you late? Oh, I, I found so-and-so on the street, and I started talking to them. And it was just, like, people people were so, like, important, like, cooking and eating and stuff like that. We'd go into restaurants, and they never bring out the check. They never bring out the check unless you specifically ask for it because 
they value the personal time with people. They know that people, like, yeah, you can eat your food, but most importantly, you're there to communicate and you're there to be in the community. And they would invite you over to make food. And it wasn't about the food. The food can take like 30 minutes to make, but it would take thir- three hours because yeah. you're talking and you're in community. So it's, it's really just like a, a vehicle to get people together and enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. It was nothing like the fast paced culture here. Yeah. You know, as you were saying it, I was thinking, man, what a, what a kind of a culture shock in both directions to a world, especially you're working with, with teenagers who know a cell phone better than they know themselves sometimes. Yeah. And just kind of bringing with you the idea that the person in front of you is the most important thing, you know, like so often I'm, I'm guilty of the person in front of you is really important, but my phone's buzzing a lot and slowly you got to check it. For some reason we have this built into our, mm. to our mind. How do you, how do you kind of envision that value that you've left Mexico with kind of playing out in, in youth ministry? Yeah. Um, it's like a huge thing that we brought back. Like I feel you know, we, we want to be intentional and we want to be like hospital, like the Mexican people. Yeah. It's, it really is unbeatable. Like I, I've never in my life been so welcomed by so many people. And with that, you grow relationships so fast that I didn't even realize it. Like in Mexico, internet or where we were at, at least like Wi-Fi was relatively new. So it's not like everybody had it. And also the phones aren't like not everyone has an iPhone. Actually, almost I don't think a single person did unless they were not from there had an iPhone. Yeah. And it was just like, man, it, it was so different. So like we want to bring that and bring that part of the atmosphere and be like, hey, like look around you. And when you're with someone, like be with that person. And I actually shared um, we like got to visit youth before we actually started working there. Yeah. We came on Wednesday night and I shared what the, like the students are like, yeah, you know, just forget the world and focus on the person like there's nothing more like i don't know like nothing feels better than when the person that you're talking to is just into you and like like focused on you yeah your undivided attention that's awesome i um i I think danny uh danny shared this with me a while back it's it's kind of these two values colliding it's be prepared and then walk slow and the idea is I'm already prepared. I'm not in a hurry because I, I already got what I need done, done. Now I can walk slow. And if somebody wants to cut me off and have a conversation, I'm, I'm not rushed and anxious that I'm not prepared because I already did that. Um, and I started taking that seriously and realizing, man, there's so many people who pick up the vibe that you're walking fast, your head is down. And so they don't want to bother. Yeah. They don't want to waste your time. And people will even say stuff like that, like, oh, I don't want to waste your time. This will be quick. They're almost like building you up. But when you put off this, this, this vibe that I'm walking slow, I'm well prepared, you can take as much as my time. I, I've realized people stop saying stuff like that. They stop saying like, oh, I don't want to waste your time. This will be fast. They just settle in and, and tell you. So I, uh, I'm a little jealous that you already know that. And you're, at, you know, you're in your early 20s. You already got that figured out. So you're in Mexico for a year uh, through all sorts of crazy confirmations and stuff. Uh, Bridge Community Church, that's where we come back into your story because we ended up with, uh, with a job opening in, in youth ministry. And, um, you know, at the time we were already thinking of it as a job opening, right? Um, and this is not a lie. This is the, the cold, hard truth. It was like, man— it's too bad Joel and Abby are in Mexico. Uh, that was how it started to be talked about. 
but I think everyone on board was like, you know what, let's not go search for the next person. Let's pause. Let's pray. Let's talk to one another about our, our shared values. And all that happened was your name just kept coming up more and more and more. Um, and so the backstory is there was a conflict because it was a job opening. And it was like, well, we don't want Joel and we don't want Abby. We want Joel and Abby. We want them both. Um, and kind of just through God's prompting and timing, it was like, well, wait a second. Are we allowed to do that? And people started looking around like, why not? Um, so we're super excited that you're here. But I'd love to hear kind of like from your perspective. Uh, you're in Mexico for a year. You start getting a phone call here or there. I remember you were home visiting, and I was half kidding, but I, I told you, hey, when are you uh, moving home to, to work in our, our youth department and take it over? And you're like, ha, ha, wait, is that for real? And I'm like, well, do you want it to be for real? Uh, I was fishing a little bit. So I'm just curious, what was your, what was your perspective? What was the, the timing? How did, how did God connect the dots for you? Yeah, so it was a total God thing also. Like it was something only planned by God. Because uh, we had gotten the news around the same time that the whole church did that um, you guys were like transitioning into a new, or that this spot was open, right? And um, I remember reading like the email, and I look at Abby, and I was like, I think we're going to be the, the youth pastors. And she's just like, what? And I was, she's like, why would you say that? And I was like, I don't even know why I said that. And it was just <laughs> like, it just came out. Um, which Andy's going to pressure me over and over until I just say yes and give in. And this was before you or anything oh, like okay. that. Yeah, this was totally before that. This was before, like right when we found out. Um, and then it, w- it wasn't until we got back home, like we came back for that one or two week visit that you had mentioned it. And then um, that's why I was like, wait, are you for real? Like, are you, are you, was that a joke or was that real? And... Yeah, I started talking to you about it before I started talking to Pastor Danny. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it turned from a conversation to a real thing pretty, pretty quickly there. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like, at least on first blush, maybe you were more open to it than, than Abby. So what was kind of your, your dialogue and your conversation together? Um, I feel like it was the opposite. I feel like it was Abby more so was like, yeah, let's do it than than I was, oh, okay. Because I had just said that, and I'm, and I was like, no, nah, no, we can't. This, this is impossible. I mean, we're here, we're doing this, we're committed, we can't, you know, and yeah. all this stuff. Or, and you're like, God opens doors, He doesn't close them, you know. We got to walk through this. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of like, we can't because we're here, and you know, we can't do that. And so then we're just like, we need to pray about it because. You know, we start thinking of the desires of our hearts, and we think, like, whoa, God, like, it would be amazing to do that. Like, this just sounds like something that's fit for us, and, like, why are you placing this in our hearts? And it was, like, a huge tug, and um, I was like, wow, like, that'd be amazing, but I don't know, I can't. And then Abby was like, you know, but we could, you know, and they were like, you're right, you're right. But it wasn't until we, um, I had the opportunity to share at a church, um on a Sunday morning, like they asked me in Mexico, like, Oh, would you be willing to do like a sermon, um, at our church? And it was like, it was this super, super, super tiny church. It was just like this tiny little, looked like a shed. It was just like brick wall and like a tin roof. And they called it a church. So it was like a really humble church. And, um, you know, they invited me and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I can do that. And, um, they kept being like, oh, Pastor Joel, thank you so much. Pastor, 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 Pastor Joel. And I was like, stop. Like, I'm not a pastor. Stop. <laughs> and I was just like, and then um, 
like God just like met me there in that place and he came and he was all like why are you running away from me and I was like what and he's like why are you running away from me why are you running away from like Mm. um, a title that I've given you because when I was younger when I I went to a conference at a youth like event and stuff like that uh, when I was like going to church with my cousins and stuff and um, I remember there was a guy there was a speaker there and he was like hey um, like I feel like the Lord is out there telling somebody that they're going to be a pastor when they grow up, you know. And if that's you, like proclaim that right now. And I remember, like I rose my hand and I was like, I'm going to be a pastor one day. Wow. And I was just like, but ever since then, I was just like, all this stuff happened. I was like, I am not worthy of like following the Lord even, and, but I'm here. And I was just like, God, I'm not running away from you. Like I'm tired, you know. I'm done running away from you. I've 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 had enough of that. And he was like, I know you have, you know, like, accept me. Hmm. I was like, you're right. And so I was in the middle of this church service, and, like, I just had my eyes closed, and I was just crying and crying and crying and crying because everybody kept calling me a pastor. And I was like, all right, God, like, I've listened, and I will follow you no matter what. You know, I will place you. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I keep hearing you say over and over that I, I love is, you know, you keep saying, like, oh, this this opportunity in this case arises and then you get excited about it. You talk about it. And then it seems like there's a point in your relationship with Abby where you both pause and say, let's take some time to pray about. Yeah. I think, um, you know, this isn't this podcast. The goal is not to teach people necessarily. It's more telling your story. But I, I think the, the teaching point is so much of these things that seem like they're not connected. God connects the dots. And a lot of the connection is, the pause and the pray. And I, I see that in your life. I think that's, that's incredible. So um, as we kind of like turn and shift gears and head towards the finish line, um, let's talk briefly about the future. You, uh, this is your second week back full-time at Bridge Community Church. Um, you have the, the reins of the youth department in your hands. What are you excited? What are you kind of already anticipating that God is up to and, and God wants to do around here? Um, we definitely have like an outward focus, you know, like we just got done being missionaries in Mexico and, um, you know, a huge thing that we learned is like missionaries aren't just people who go across, you know, borders and stuff like missionaries are here. Missionaries Mm -hmm. are in this church. There's, you know, if you've heard the gospel, you've been giving the title of a missionary. You are, you are it. Now it's. Now it's you acting out and going out and sp- and spreading the gospel. Yeah. And so with that, we want to bring that to the youth. We want to get them connected to the community, get them to serve, and you know just be missionaries in your hometown. Yeah. So that's that's a huge point that we're like we want to work into. That's awesome. Is there uh, any any last words you want to share or any anything else you wanted to talk about? Um. Uh, I think like the main thing when I look back at my life and I like look at everything I've been through and look at everything like everything I think God is um, like such a provider you yeah. know and we I don't know I either we take that for granted or we forget it because we're either like gimme 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 or we're like we can never have anything we don't we're undeserving but you know, he provides. And 
I've been in so many lows in my life that I'm like, when I hit the, I hit rock bottom, I'm like, oh, God is here. God is here with me. Yeah. Like, I'm not even scared. Like, oh, you know, I've, I'm here. I've been here before. I'm here again. And I probably will be there in the future, but God is here with me. That's so awesome. That's just like a, he will provide. That's awesome. Well, thanks for uh, sitting and chatting. I, I think, um, what a, what a cool thing to be able to, to have this out in the world. I, I think, Joel, that uh, maybe when people meet you, they, they recognize a, a super humble, approachable guy, but some of the depth that's in you at a young age, it, it makes a lot of sense when we sit down and hear your story and where you've come from. Um, I think one of my first impressions of you was like, wow, you're, you're kind of wise beyond your years, and that's because you've lived life beyond your years. And um, in all the ways that God's brought you through it, we're, we're excited for you and all the ways that God's going to continue. We can't wait to see that happen. And uh, more than anything, we're super excited to, to have you on board here at Bridge. And we're, we're really uh, excited for our students to see what, what God's going to do in and through you and Abby. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, totally. <laughs>